So why don't you turn with me in God's word to Colossians, Colossians chapter three this morning, chapter three, beginning in verse 12. I'm going to read down to verse 24. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule or umpire your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Then take note of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we often stop here and disconnect, but actually verse 17 points directly to what follows. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, again, now pointing back to those verses 18 to 22, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving the Lord Christ. Verse 17, whatever you do, wives, in word or deed, husbands, in word or deed, whatever you do, children, in word or deed, do it all, right, in the name of the Lord. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I think it's pretty clear when you read this contextually, that's what he's referring to when he points to 18 to 21 in particular today. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is reminding us to put on the things he said there in verses 12 to 14 or 15. Put on Christ-exalting qualities. But where are you to put these things on? Well, he tells us in verses 18 to 21 in particular. Put on these Christ-exalting qualities in your closest personal relationships. It's important that we understand that. There's a purpose for this. This is not just so you have a happy life and a happy family and a happy you know, home. There's more to it than that. He wants us to exalt Christ-like qualities in these close personal relationships because when the world sees wives joyfully submit to their husbands, they are testifying to Christ's lordship over their lives, over their hearts. And when the world sees husbands sacrificially love their wives, They are testifying to the love of Christ that's at work in them, working through them in their actions. 
And when the world sees children trust and obey their parents, they testify to Christ's direction of their parents' actions and their hearts. Now, these are rare qualities today in our world. We all know that. And, and here in verse number 16, in particular in 17, we begin to see how these rare qualities are to be exhibited and how they are to be cultivated. In, in chapter 3, Paul's telling us that if, if Christ-like qualities are going to be seen and seen on full display in our selfish and sin-sick world, we must first and foremost let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts richly in every avenue of our lives as wives, husbands, children, employees, employers. So this is kind of where Paul's going with his idea here and his thoughts in verses 16. He says, let this dwell in your heart and then whatever you do as parents, as spouses, as kids, let these things bring glory to God. It's a progression of thought that's coming out of verse 17. So at verse 17, when we take note of the main point, he's saying, look, whatever, whatever you do, whatever you say, the way you speak to your kids, the way you speak to your spouse, whatever you do in word or deed, when you correct, discipline, encourage, submit, let it be done under Christ's lordship and for his glory and your good. And Paul's telling us here that when our hearts are ruled by the word of Christ, the peace of Christ, the word of God, it will transform every area of our lives as his people. That's what he's saying here. If the word of Christ is richly dwelling in you, it's going to change your witness to the world through your family, through your marriage, through your relationship to your parents. The world will take notice. And they'll ask you about the hope that lies within you at this point. So he's telling us, I think, some very practical truths here. He's telling us that if if you really want to see this happen, if you really want to see the Lord being exalted and glorified in this world, it needs to take place first and foremost in your home, in your personal close relationships. When, When we're filled with the word and the spirit, that will happen. When you're filled with the word, it means to be controlled by the word of God, controlled by the spirit of God. When you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you will do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, including parenting and including marriage. So to help us this morning, I think, see how to do this, I want us to go with Paul back to this text and see again, there's this general command in verse 17, and he's moving from this general command into particulars He's giving us the particulars of how we are to put on these Christ-like qualities practically in our closest relationships. Again, he shows us how to do that in verses 18 to 21. In that section, Paul's showing us what the word of Christ dwelling in us should look like practically in our lives. Here's an outline for you. In this passage... God is showing us how Christ-like qualities should be revealed in, number one, our marital relationships, and number two, our parental relationships. In 18 and 19, number one, we learn that our marriage relationships should reveal Christ-exalting actions in our closest relationship in life. Now, I know that verse 18, in our time and in our age, is not a popular verse, 
for women to hear read publicly in church and then called to submit to. But that's what God's doing. He's giving us this word for your good and the glory of his name. And I want to try to help you understand this Again, from a biblical perspective and not from a worldly perspective, because submission from the world's perspective looks like domination. looks like men lording it over their wives, harsh abusers of their wives. That's not what God has ordained here. In verse 18, it's describing how the word of Christ, how the word of Christ should be manifest in a wife's life. Wives submit If the word of Christ is dwelling in you, whatever you do as a wife, then then do it for the glory of his name. And if his word is dwelling in you, you'll submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. He's describing how the word of Christ should be manifest, ladies, in your marital life as women. And in verse 18, wives are to remember this command that it flows directly out of verse 16, though. As you dwell on Christ's word... This is going to happen. You're going to willfully submit to the Lord who gave you the husband to protect you. It's a willful desire. If you're born again, submission to the Lord who gave you the husband who is to protect and guide you is not going to be a difficult thing. Though there may be trying times. He's not a perfect husband. None of us are. But you're ultimately not submitting to him. You're submitting to God who will discipline him and instruct him in the way he should go as a husband. We'll get to that later, too. Paul's pointing out here that this this command in verse 18 comes out of verse 16. He's pointing out that your actions in marriage, ladies, should reveal God's word and will in your heart through your role as a wife. It should be revealed through this very heart of Christ. Jesus himself submitted to the Father's will to become our sacrifice. Jesus submitted himself for the sake of saving us. Ladies, you're being called to emulate Christ in this. As you submit to God's word, you'll submit to your role as a woman and as a wife. So your actions as you do this, ladies, your actions in marriage actually are revealing your submission to God. First and foremost, who gave you the husband to guide you, to guard you, to instruct you. That's what 18 is talking about here. It's saying, look, wives, you're commanded here by the Lord to do something that is fitting in his sight. Submit. Wow, that's a harsh word. But not really when you understand it from the context of who you're submitting to ultimately. The Lord of grace and mercy. The good God who saved you by sending his son to die for you. Submit to him as he leads you through your husband. The word submit here means to get in rank. Get in rank. It's a military term. Get in rank, but who do you get in rank under? First and foremost, God. He's saying submit, get in rank under God's loving direction and his protection, his good protection. He doesn't say get in rank, get submitted to an abusive, dominating man. That's not what he's saying. If the man is that way, the man will be dealt with by the Lord harshly. For misrepresenting Christ as a husband. As Christ loved the church, so the husband should love his wife and lay down his life for her. So ladies, when we read this, don't be angry. Don't be pushing back against the truth here. B 
be amazed that God's called you to be submitted to him as an instrument of reflection, to, to show the submissive heart of Christ himself as you submit to the Father's will for your husband to guide you. When God calls you to be a wife, that's what he's doing. I say this a lot at the wedding ceremonies I do. When God is calling you to to be a wife, here's what he's doing. He's calling you to joyfully submit to God's direction and his loving leadership through the husband that he places over you for your good. Verse 18, that word submission is focused on that. It's focused on God, not man. Submit as is fitting in the Lord. The wife who submits to her husband like this is doing it as fitting in the Lord. She's revealing Jesus's lordship over her own heart, her own actions, her own life, her mothering through these willful acts of submission. And and she's doing it 90 percent of the time. Let's just be honest, guys. She's submitting to us when we're not worthy of submission. Right. She is doing it often in spite of the husband's shortcomings as a leader. If anyone knows our shortcomings, it's our wives. Yet she trusts God, even when we are astray in our leadership, she trusts God to put us back on track and to discipline us. And she willfully submits to the Lord. And the consequences of us doing it poorly mean we have to bear that burden, not her. When a husband leads his wife correctly, he's the burden bearer, pointing to who? Pointing to Jesus. He willfully took the burden of our sin upon himself. And when we do this poorly, when we do these things that we're called to do as husbands poorly, the consequences will fall upon us. But isn't that a good thing for the wives? The wives don't have to bear that burden. They're to be elevated in their role. They're to be protected. We need to improve in our leadership. If you really want your wife to submit joyfully, love like Christ Practically, continually. And that's a challenge for us, and it takes grace for us to do that. Now, ladies, this this kind of submission, though, you will never submit like this unless you follow what it says in verse 16. If you are not letting the word of Christ richly, richly dwell in you, submitting to the teaching, submitting to his instructions, You'll never be able to uphold your God-ordained role as a wife in marriage. God has given you this gift of marriage for your good and for his glory as you submit to his instruction. As, As you're placed under this husband, know that he is there to do the good that God has ordained for all husbands who belong to Christ are to do. They are to bring you protection care, provisions, there to display to you the love of Jesus himself. The love of Jesus is to be displayed through the life of the husband who lays down his own agendas for the sake of elevating his wife's needs and protecting her. That's the love of Christ being manifest in us. And they are protected by this. And it's a good gift to women to submit with this understanding. So now, when we talk about submission, though, I know, again, it's such a foreign, it's almost a foreign word to even say. It's like someone saying the word discrimination today sounds like it's an automatically evil thing, although we're very discriminant, aren't we, when we leave this building today? I look both ways before I get on the highway. I'm discriminating. It's discerning. Submission is not an ugly word. It's a beautiful word. 
It points to Jesus. And it points to God's care and provisions in his order of things as he ordains men and women for different roles, complementary roles in marriage. But this complementary role and position we're given is something that man didn't invent. It's not a cultural mandate. It's a creation mandate. We need to be reminded of that. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. This is what God has ordained. This is not what man has invented. This is not a construct of the Apostle Paul and Timothy in their time. This was God's original design. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. Then he's going to give you the, the mandate of where it came from. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So the role that we have and the order in which we have our roles in marriage comes back down to creation. Adam failed in the garden. He failed to guard his wife from another voice that entered into the garden to deceive her. He stood by idol. He abdicated his role as a man. It's so easy, guys, today to do this. If you've got a pushy wife, if you've got a bossy wife, if you've got an outspoken wife, you can just sit back and say, fine, do what you want. I don't want to deal with that. You deal with it. That's abdication. That's sin, man. That's cowardice. That's not leadership. You are to lead them. This is what Adam did. He just cowered in the background as Satan tempted Eve in the garden. And he failed to protect his bride, even though he was called to by God because he was created first. So husbands, that's, that's where this comes from. Wives, this is where it comes from. And that being the case, you need to understand then, ladies, that a lack of submission to your husband is not simply a, a fault in your character. It's not just your personality trait. A, a lack of submission to a husband is actually an act of disrespect and rebellion against God himself who ordained this role that you're in. And if you do not submit willfully to the Lord who gave you the husband to guard, guide, protect, and lead you, then basically you're going to bring about many actions in your marriage that are going to cause disunity, heartache in the family, divisiveness, misery, Physical separation from one another. Temptation. Now, it goes both ways, though. Naturally, if, if men fail in their role, heartache will follow as well. If a man either, again, like I said, neglects his duty to lead or abuses his duty to lead in the home and he misrepresents Christ's love and his leadership, it will bring about very, very heartbreaking actions in the marriage. Brokenness, bitterness. Deep resentment and hurt. Listen, there's something just amazing about the difference between men and women that God ordained and wired into us. Men want to lead, but we are afraid. (laughs) We are afraid. Women want you to lead, and they're not afraid. They like to step up if you don't step up. This is a battle that's gone on since the Garden of Eden. This was the thing that was going to happen. Eve was going to want to take the place of her husband because he failed to do his job. But God has called us not to fall under our natural condition, but to fall under his submission and his spirit's direction to step up and do what we're called to do. Do the hard things, men. Lead. 
Sometimes it means it's going to be difficult. But if you're not leading your wives in love, protection, guidance, instruction, you are failing to represent Christ because he does that for his church. You're called to be an ambassador of Christ's love to your wife. That's your delegated position. Just because you're male doesn't automatically make you a leader over a woman. When you're married, God has delegated this leadership to you. But that leadership has to be guided by God's instruction, his word. Verse 16 of Colossians. Our actions should manifest Jesus's love, his protection, not domination or abdication. So go back with me to Colossians 3. In Colossians 3.19, we're told how the word of Christ is to be manifest now, not in just the wife's life, but now in the husband's actions in marriage. In 3.19, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Doesn't it say that? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Men, do you hear that? Look, my wife is like 99% perfect in my opinion. But that 1%... That 1% that might not be perfect can make me become harsh because I sinfully respond to her need of grace. See, when we see weakness in our spouse, we don't exploit it. We step up and help them in it. We're called to come alongside our wives, not react harshly because they don't please us, because they don't get what we're saying, because we don't like how they did it. We're to come alongside when we see weakness in a brother or sister in Christ and lift their burden with them, carry it with them. Are we not to do that in our marriages? We must. This is where Christ wants his love manifest to the world, to the gospel picture of marriage. So men, he tells us this is a direct command from the Lord himself. Do not be harsh. Do not be bitter. Do not be impatient. Do not be thoughtless in your words. Because, guys, if you're like that, you're a lousy picture of Christ. You're a lousy picture of Jesus and his love. You know what what harsh words do? Harsh words, when two men get into an argument, we can share harsh words with each other. And it hits pretty hard, hurts pretty deep for a minute. Then it rolls off. We get over it. We might even go golfing or fishing with the guy later. But, men, when you use harsh words toward your wife, it cuts them deep. It cuts them deep and it lasts long. It cuts them deeply and it drives a wedge when it cuts them. It drives a wedge that will divide you, that will put you further apart from each other. And you need to have that divide bridged by the gospel. Not harsh words, but loving words, encouraging words. You know, I always find this statement really irritating when I do counseling with people and the guy comes in and he says, nobody here's done this, by the way, so I'm not telling on anybody here. But when a guy comes in and says, I says, what's going on in your life with your you know, wife and everything? He says, well, I just married this stupidest woman. She's such an idiot. And, and I say, okay, so you're angry because you have a stupid wife. Yeah, you married her. What's that make you? That usually stops the conversation at that point. So we give it back up a minute. You know, let's, let's think about this. We are to use our words, men, not to run down our wives, but to elevate them, to edify them, to encourage them in Christ. We're called to be helpers. We're called to be servants of Jesus. And I'll tell you this much. If I was in your home and you were in mine and you heard harsh words coming from my mouth to my wife 
or I heard it from you to your wife, I would be shocked because if, if I did that myself in your house to your wife, I know your response. If I told your wife what an idiot she was in front of you, you would never let me get away with that kind of talk. So how dare we, as their brother in Christ and their spouse who is called to protect them and point them to Jesus, how dare we speak to our wives in a way that we would let no other man speak to her? Men, we must repent of our harshness and our bitterness toward our spouses, even in the height of our biggest disagreements. Die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. And we're called by God as husbands to represent Jesus' love to his bride. Where's the love of Christ displayed most gloriously for his bride? Is that the cross of Calvary? There on the cross, Jesus is dying for a wretched bride. A filthy, wretched whore of a bride. He dies for her. He lays down his life willingly for her to rescue her, to cleanse her, to purify her. To make her a glorious bride that he will embrace and keep to himself and guard for eternity. Men, that's how we are to love our wives. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll be a blessing to your wives who are moms today. Because you'll set that example for your kids. And they'll honor and love her as well. We're not called to be harsh. We're called to be Christ-like. Jesus is never harsh toward us, toward his bride. He's never bitter toward his bride. He's never impatient with his bride. He's never thoughtless in his words to his bride. We shouldn't be either. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. 5, 5.25 to 28. Here we see what we're called to do as husbands with our words and with our actions, with our lives. How we put on Christ-like qualities practically. This is what you're called to do. You're called to, to love your wife like Christ loves his church, patiently and sacrificially. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's why. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's what we're called to do. In verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. This is what it should look like. Christ sacrificially loves his bride, it says in verse 25. He, he, he gave himself up for her. He didn't only die for her, those saints. He lived for her the righteous life as the protector and the provider of righteousness, who he was called to be for his bride. We are to sacrifice our lives to protect and to lead our wives in righteousness, to cleanse them to the washing of the word. The washing of the word, first and foremost, over our lives that will spill over onto their lives. I love this passage in Ephesians. I'm going way off my notes, but that's okay. The church at Ephesus dealt with the temple of Diana. And it was full of temple prostitutes, male and female. You have to understand some context to the book of Ephesians. Ninety percent of the church, those who were born again, probably were born again, that were brought out of Diana worship, temple worship, temple prostitution. So when you read what Paul's writing here about washing and cleansing his bride, 
you understand what this woman would have felt like when she came to her husband as a Christian. And he said, what have you done? Who are you? Tell me something about you. And she said, I've been a whore, been a prostitute at the temple my whole life. He says, but you've been loved by God. You've been washed in the blood. And I could just picture this man taking a rag and wiping what she feels is the scum and dirt of her life away, cleansing her body and her mind, saying, no, you're pure, you're beautiful, you're mine. I'm going to guard you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to protect you because Jesus died for you. And you're holy in his sight. And this is what it looks like to guide your wives and love her like Christ. Carefully loving her, constantly cleansing her and protecting and nourishing her. That's what makes the gospel visible in our marriages, men. We are to manifest Jesus' love to our wives through these kinds of actions. When our wives feel defeated, depressed, discouraged, unable to do what they think they're called to do, we are not pointing out what's wrong with them in that. We are to go alongside them and say, I want to tell you what God's doing in that through you already in me. I think our wives are the greatest illustrations of Christ's love and mercy and sacrifice that we have as husbands in our lives every day. We need to point those things out to them. Don't point out their flaws, their failures. They know them. If you see them, it's 90% true that it's your fault that they're in that condition anyway because you're not leading them well. When we see faults in our spouse, that's what it lies at the heart of, is we aren't leading and helping them in those areas of weakness. We're called to do that as husbands. So here's a question for you guys. Are you joyfully doing this as a husband? Are you joyfully or bitterly leading your wife through your actions at home? Let me ask you this. Is your wife thankful to God for your actions or is she weeping over your leadership because of them? It's never too late, men, for that to change. Let the text that we're reading, one in Ephesians, let this convict you and move you to repentance and turning back from these things that you're doing, turning to God for direction so that his word would richly dwell in you and be manifest through you in your leadership in marriage. Now, let's go back to Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 20 to 21. Here in this section, the apostle moves from how Christ's word is manifest in our marriages to how Christ's words should be manifest in our practical parenting. Let me read it to you. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So here we're being, we're being taught that our parenting relationships, just like our marital relationships, should, should manifest something Christ-like, right? It should manifest, first and foremost, the parents... And the kids' submission to Christ's direction. That's what it's saying. As you let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, you are submitting to God's direction as a husband and as a mom. And the way you parent your children. And you'll notice the weight falls upon the dad in this, this command to parent them well. To guard them, to guide them, to instruct, to correct. That's all implied in verse 21. In verse 20, though, he's addressing, obviously, kids. So kids, if you're here, he's addressing you. This is a command to you. If you're not born again, it doesn't matter. It's still a command to you. God's given you your parents as a gift. You are responsible before a holy God to obey what he says. And if you can't do it, it's because you need grace. 
There's only one way for children to find grace. That's by looking to Christ. Putting your trust in Jesus. His life that he lived for you as a child, as an adult, his life was imputed to sinners like us, given to us, put on our account. We are now protected by God's life in Christ given to us. And you can have the grace that is necessary to be obedient. Do what this command says. But he's addressing children. Now, in particular, he's not talking about adult children outside of the home. He's talking about children who are offspring that are still under the care of parents. It's a particular word that's used here. So we can't apply this to a parent and a child relationship. If the child is an adult and he's living in sin and doing things that are wrong, you can't say that the parent is failing at that point. He may have failed or she may have failed at some point, but ultimately that child is responsible to God for their own actions. But here the children are being commanded to obey God who gave them parents to protect them. But here's my question when I read that. How, how do our kids learn to do this if they're not born again? Well, they need to see the gospel at home and the relationship between the mom and the dad. How will our kids learn to submit to and love these instructions? Well, 18 and 19, I think, gave us the hint on how that was going to happen. See, this is the key to understanding obedience for your children. The submission and love that's being exercised by their parents' lives that honors Jesus, that is meant to be a model for their children to follow and see this is pleasing to the Lord. This is what God has called my mom to do and my dad to do. My mom submits willingly. My dad loves sacrificially. And then when they instruct me together corporately, they're looking for my good. They're not looking to domineer over me. They're not looking to keep me back from something good. They actually are submitted to God, and I see their love for me in their instructions. Saints, I want you to know this as parents, and we have a lot of up-and-coming mamas in this room. In a few more months, we'll know more of who these children are. But as parents in general, I want you to understand something. Your example, your model of the gospel goes a long way in cultivating a God-honoring reaction in your kids. The way you relate as husband and wife goes a long way to point your kids to the gospel of Christ. Children, when they see their mom put on joyful submission to God's call on her life as a wife, and, and then they see their dad put on sacrificial love by leading and caring for their mom, these kids then can believe in their mind and their understanding they can trust these people mom's helping dad dad's helping mom they're not fighting with each other they're submitted to the word together no one's competing here i can trust these parents instructions they're working for my good not for my harm because i see them working together for the glory of god when they, when they see Christ-like love and instruction mixed with submission to his word and manifested in their parents, they can rejoice in their parents' instructions. They don't always like it, but they can rejoice in knowing that we're giving it to them for their good, not just for our selfish desires. This is real important to keep in mind. I just want to say this, too. This is going to touch home. <laughs> we have a lot of kids in our church. Men, when you're in this fellowship and your wife is wrestling with your kids so that you can sit back and listen to the sermon, you need to repent. Pick that child up and go spank him or go help him or go deal with him and let her be able to listen to the message. Men, they need to see that you love your wife enough to sacrifice for her good. 
dads, you're sitting in the pew next to him. It's your job to deal with those children in the church for the sake of your wife and for the good of their soul. You need to model these things, men. You need to model these things because this, this opens the door for an evangelistic conversation with your kids when you do this. When your kids begin to see you do things that are out of the ordinary for each other, they begin to ask you about the hope that lies within you. And you can tell them why mom submits to my direction without arguing. Why, why dad sacrifices his time for mom and for her good. Then you can say, well, it's because of Jesus. Because of what God's done for us in Christ. We submit one to another for the glory of his name and the good of our spouse. We're considering others as more significant than ourselves. This is going to go a long way in modeling the truth of the gospel to your kids. This is what we want as parents. Go back to 321. Here the apostle elaborates a little bit more on, again, who is responsible for cultivating these kinds of qualities, this kind of parenting relationship and instruction. And he's telling us very clearly that the responsibility of training our kids to to learn how to obey the Lord and honor their mom is put into the hands of their fathers. So dads, that that God-ordained male leadership role you have, it's, it's so that you can honor your wife and you can guide your kids to Christ. It's not given for you to exercise authority over them, to be harsh to them. It's given to you to step up. To show them how to obey God and honor this spouse that God has given to you for their good. So here's some things I'm going to challenge you guys with. And here's, here's my heart in this. I'm challenging the men here because I want you men to be not just a one-time Mother's Day gift to your wife who has children. But I want you to be an ongoing gift to your spouse. So I am going to lay the burden on your heart and your heads today. Because it's already been on mine for three days. It's time to share. So let me address dads and men directly. So men, we need to evaluate our actions, our words. That's the first thing we need to do is evaluate our actions, our words, our attitudes in our homes toward our wives and toward our kids. Are they Christ-exalting, God-honoring, edifying to our spouse, to our kids? Or are they abusive, harsh, and bitter, and betrayers of the gospel? Here's some questions to think about. Dads, do you sinfully provoke your wife using harsh words in front of your kids? Guess what? If you do, the kids will follow your example. That's the way they'll speak to her. Your example will teach them one way or the other, either to honor mom and encourage her or disrespect her and hurt her. Dads, do you willfully honor your wife's needs above your own in front of your kids. Guess what? If you do, so will your children. They'll look out for mom. They'll want to help mom. They'll want to protect mom. Now, men, we don't do any of these things perfectly. I, for one, say that's my biggest problem. I I, I see what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I'm in Romans 7 with Paul. I'm doing the things I don't want to do and the things I need to be doing I'm not doing, and it's just driving me crazy. But but my wife and my children need to see me repenting of this. Men, be humble enough to confess your sin when you fail to your wife and to your kids. Your actions teach your kids volumes about what it means to please the Lord. This is what we're calling them to do. Children, obey your parents. It pleases the Lord, right? Obey 
your parents. Well, you're going to have to teach them why that's important. You're going to show them why that's important. And, and kids will react. They'll react to our loving direction and our example. Or they'll react to the lack thereof. If kids don't see patience and leadership and, and encouragement, they, they won't trust you. They won't trust your direction, your correction. They won't trust that it's coming for their good to protect them and help them in the future. So men, when we, when we fail to put on these qualities, these Christ-like qualities in our correction, in our care of our spouse, it often leads to what we see in verse 21, which is heartbreaking. This is what it does. When men fail to lead their wife well, they usually fail to protect and guide and instruct their kids well. And it does something devastating to both. It's discouraging. Verse 21, he's telling us very clearly what fathers are not to do. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Provoking your children to despair, discouragement, or exasperating your children is what he's talking about. Through your harshness, your bitterness, your impatience toward his mom even, her mom. And it's, it's a very devastating word that the Apostle Paul uses here, provoking. Do not provoke. Provoke means to break the spirit. Do not break the spirit. In other words, do not break the spirit to produce despair and give no hope of change or grace. I know how dangerous this is for dads because I'm an expert at doing this wrongly. I know this from experience, and I need the rebuke that's here. It's easy for me to provoke my kids to the point of just basically making them feel completely like they have to give up. That is not Christ-like, fatherly love. I am not to break them. I am to point them to Christ, who was broken for them, to give them hope that there's forgiveness when they fail. When they don't obey the Lord... They're in the same camp as me. They need grace. They don't need discouragement. They don't need to be pounded on. They need to be lifted up toward the cross of Christ and say, this is the only hope for sinners. And I am a sinner. You are a sinner. But God loves to save sinners. Confess your sins. Look to Christ. You will find freedom in obedience to Christ. Joy in obedience to Christ and his will and his word. We need to understand as, as husbands, this is our great mandate. This is our masculine mandate as men. We're not called to be heavy handed in our correction. We're not called to be disparaging in our words. We're not called to be constantly ridiculing our kids. We're not called to avoid encouraging our wives. We're called to magnify Christ in every personal relationship in our life and especially the closest when children don't receive the kind of encouraging words, correctives that are grace-driven and gospel-driven, when they don't receive that, instead they, they find themselves being provoked to despair, they'll begin to live without hope. They'll begin to live without hope of grace, a grace that can change them. They'll become bitter, hard, push back. But we need to be honoring Christ in the way in which we lead our children to instruct them and correct them. Pray that we do that well as dads. Now, it doesn't mean we don't correct them, though, either. We must correct 
our kids. That's a command from the Lord. Foolishness is bound on the heart of a child, but the rod of reproof will drive it far from him. That's the husband's role, the dad's role. He's to do the discipline when it's possible. If he's not, he delegates it to mom. But then he follows up when he comes home. And we don't just talk about their sin that they were spanked for. We come alongside and say, you know what? Sin hurts because it's sinful. Because it hurts God, and that's why you have inflicted pain with it. But I want to give you hope of healing and grace. There's hope for sinners. Look to Christ. So we have to correct them. But we are not to crush them. We're not to crush their spirits. We can avoid doing that if we go back to Colossians 3.16. Letting the word of Christ richly dwell in you. You can avoid this. You can avoid this provoking your children to despair if you do this. You can avoid treating your wife harshly with your words if you do this. But men, how much time are you devoting to God and his word to guide you as a dad and as a husband? You can avoid the mistakes that I make that we all struggle with from time to time. You can avoid the things that we're being commanded here to avoid. You can avoid these things by directing your hearts and your mind and your actions and your kids and your wife to God's grace. Resting in the truth. The truth is, it was God's grace that overcame your sins and called you into this role as a husband or as a dad. And called you with the spirit to be able to do what he's calling you to do in this role. It's God's grace that helps you realize that God forgives your parenting failures every single day. Tell that to your kids when you commit those failures. Let them know. Guys, remember that in our role, this is going to keep you humble, I think, and obviously help you avoid speaking harshly to your wife and provoking your children and discouraging them. When you remember in your role that you have failed the Lord Jesus constantly. And you yourself need our Heavenly Father's loving kindness, His patience, His love, and gospel hope. We need to reflect that to our kids when we come to that realization in our parenting. We can see our Father's love and hope for us on display in Psalm 103. The last passage I want to look at, Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 8. Men, this is is what we need from our Father. And as fathers, this is what we should give to our children. We should point them to this hope, to this loving kindness, this patience, this love, this gospel hope that's displayed to us by our Father in heaven and manifest in Christ at the cross. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, God, let that be the testimony of my heart as a dad. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. Instead, he poured out his anger on his son in our stead. He has dealt with Jesus according to our sins. And when I deal with my little sinners, I should not forget this. This was my only hope. This is their only hope. God knows our sinful condition, our weakness. We need to keep that in mind when we discipline our children, minister to our wives. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
I mean, that's an immeasurable distance. Why do we hold bitterness and why do we pound on our kids once we've called their sin out? What we need to do is we need to teach them about what it looks to give their heart to Christ. Give this burden to Jesus. Let his blood wash away their transgressions. They can't atone for their sins to me by trying to do what I tell them all the time. And their hearts are bitter toward me and all the all the means in which they do it. We need to point them to the only way that their hearts can be changed. And it's in Christ. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Dads. Remember, your children are like you, dust. Remember their frame. Deal with them gently. Peter tells us to deal with our wives that way, as the weaker vessel. Weaker meaning precious, set apart in a way sacred. One who is in need of special care and protection. Treat them with that kind of care. If we want our kids and our spouse To see and understand the gospel's power and grace, we have to remember this. We have to remember to put on these Christ-like qualities in our leadership, in our instruction, in our care, our provisions. And we can do that if we teach our kids and our spouse the things that we are being filled up with daily. If we are filling our minds and our hearts with the word of Christ, and we're modeling it through our love and our leadership in our homes, it will be visible tangible, edifying to our family. And men, that's the kind of leadership that God calls us into. And men, that kind of leadership is probably the best gift you can give the mother of your kids today. Humble yourselves, men. Dwell in God's word. Put it into action. And if you want to honor the moms in your life today and take up your masculine mandate to to lead, lead them in truth and in love. By humbling yourself, by humbling yourself, by repenting of your failures to your spouse and to your kids, by humbling yourself and then putting on Christ-like actions in your marriage and in your parenting. Men, this is pleasing to the Lord, and it will bless your wife and the mother of your kids when you do this. Now, in closing, I just want to say this. I truly believe that every good gift comes from our Father above, right? I believe that moms are a great gift from the Lord and should be honored. But not because they're honorable. Because of what God has called them into is honorable. They should be honored even though at times they fail like we do as husbands. They should be honored though because of the role that God's given them. And the duty that they carry out daily that none of us ever really get to see because they're the ones up all night with the kids. They're the ones taking care of all the needs of all the people that are in our lives that bug us and we don't want to deal with. They're dealing with it. We should honor these dear moms. And we should honor them by fulfilling our calling as men. When we fulfill our calling as men, we are ultimately honoring the Lord who put these ladies in our lives for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. It's a hard word, Lord, to hear these things as men. It's hard for us to hear these commands because we fall so short of your glory and your calling in our lives. That, Lord, you use hard words to break up hard hearts. 
where we have grown calloused in these areas. God, I pray that you would rip those calluses off and that the sting and rebuke of your word would would go deep inside of us to the point that we will continue to repent every single day as dads and husbands and moms and wives and children until Christ's heart is formed in us. This is our great desire today. I pray you be glorified through the hearing and receiving of this truth in Jesus' name.